Mike Check 717. This is Eric T. Jones, aka Brother Jones, and I just need five minutes of your time. Today I'm going to do something a little different. Every seventh episode, I'm going to review a book that engages the ongoing black freedom struggle. The first book I have selected is The Second, Racing Guns in a Fatally Unequal America, by one of my favorite historians, Carol Anderson. The second is an intriguing read because Anderson merges the Second Amendment with the history of racism from colonial to contemporary America. The amendment reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. On the surface, the Second Amendment does not perpetuate racial oppression, but her evaluation of its historical context unveils the intersection between race and guns. Considering the right to a well-regulated militia, the right to bear arms, and the right to self-defense, these rights do not apply to enslave or free blacks. According to Anderson, the Second Amendment was designed to prevent slave rebellions given blacks resisted from the moment of capture until the Civil War. Historian Herbert Apthecker's book, American Negro Slave Revolts, documents approximately 250 rebellions and conspiracies, which goes beyond the well-known rebellions and conspiracies spearheaded by Gabriel Prosser, Denmark Vesey, and Nat Turner. For part one of this review, I'm going to focus on the first half of the book, chapters one and two. In these chapters, one thing is clear. In order to protect the slaveocracy, the Second Amendment legalized the enforcement and preservation of slavery through gun violence. Chapter one focuses on the Revolutionary War and a constitutional convention. To illustrate how these events shaped the Second Amendment, Anderson discusses how the American colonies, like Virginia, as far back as 1639, passed gun control laws that prevented blacks from the right to bear arms in self-defense. It's important to note these laws were not exclusive to the South, because all 13 colonies passed similar laws. Blacks were also excluded from participating in the colonial militias. This was also the case during the Revolutionary War, until the Continental Army faced two problems. Number one, they had a manpower shortage. And number two, the militias they relied on proved to be unreliable. Consequently, the colonies amended their laws so blacks could serve in a continental army, leading to the following question. Would the American colonies have won the Revolutionary War if blacks didn't come to their rescue? Following the war, the Articles of Confederation, United States' first constitution adopted by the Continental Congress in 1777, proved to be an utter failure because the central government had no sway over the states, which was the impetus behind the Constitutional Convention of 1787 in Philadelphia, where delegates created the second constitution. During these meetings, southern states threatened to abandon the Constitutional Convention if slavery was not preserved. This situation all but forced James Madison to compromise and develop a constitution that ensured a strong central government while protecting states' rights to enslave human beings. One part of Madison's compromise was the Second Amendment. Therefore, Anderson shows how the right to a well-regulated militia, the right to bear arms, and the right to self-defense was about racial oppression. She writes, The Second Amendment came into being December 15, 1791, steeped in anti-blackness, swaddled in the desire to keep African-descended people rightless and powerless. 
Chapter 2 focuses on several historical flashpoints that further perpetuated racial oppression after the Constitutional Convention. First, Benjamin Franklin endorsed a Quaker petition in February 1790, shortly before his death, that requested the abolition of slavery, triggering a heated debate in Congress. The petition was referred to a select congressional committee, and we all know what those committees do. Not a damn thing. Second, the Naturalization Act of 1790, which restricted citizenship to immigrants from Western Europe, ironically became law the following month. Third, the Haitian Revolution, igniting fear within the United States, resulted in the Militia Acts of 1792 that aimed to inhibit a similar revolution from occurring in the South. But as I mentioned earlier, rebellions and conspiracies persisted, as evidenced by Gabriel Prosser, then Mark Vesey, and Nat Turner, among others. In addition, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, one year after the Militia Acts, provides additional evidence that enslaved blacks were just not having it. They resisted, resisted, and resisted. Over 50 years later, the Fugitive Slave Act was updated in 1850, and in 1857, Chief Justice Roger Taney's opinion of the court in Dred Scott v. Sanford declared blacks, and I'm quoting here, had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. And this included, you guessed it, the Second Amendment. Anderson's evaluation of these flashpoints in its context during the 18th and 19th centuries help us see how there was an ongoing cycle of slavery, resistance, and repression via the Second Amendment, the right to a well-regulated militia, the right to bear arms, and the right to self-defense was about controlling enslaved and free black people. Well, my five minutes are up. Next week, I will discuss the second half of the book, chapters three and four. Until then, keep your head on a swivel.